0: Well, good morning. Good to have you here. Uh, Welcome to Redeemer. We're so glad that you've taken time this morning to join us. And uh, we come here to worship God. We come to sing about all the uh, great and how how great God is, uh, to set aside the things of the world that distract us and to focus for a few moments on God's amazing love and mercy and grace. So thank you for being part of today. In Psalm 103, King David says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. You know, even when... um, Things get hectic in our life, and the world seems a little crazy. Uh, Always know that you will find a a welcome here as we worship God together. Pray with me, will you? Lord, as we walk through the doors to this place of worship this morning, we brought with us our cares, our concerns, our joys, and our sorrows. So touch our hearts this day and heal us. Make us ready to become your faithful disciples. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're able, we invite you to stand, and we're going to sing together, To God Be the Glory. Thanks. Go ahead and have a seat. Well again, thank you for uh, getting out this morning and uh, joining us. If you uh, have not already, we invite you to sign the uh, card that's on the seat with, uh, beside you. It's a, we call it our connection card. It's a way for us to just uh, know that you're with us and celebrate that. We thank you for filling that out. There's an offering box at the back and then one out on the table. Uh, you can drop the cards in there and if you have an offering gift you'd like to make as well you can drop it in those uh, boxes have you ever gotten lost <laughs> i have a couple of times in my life uh, when i was younger I, I remember a couple of times especially and it can be a very scary time uh... but getting lost is not uh, as easy as it used to be now we have a global positioning system on our phone don't we gps on most of our phones, at least, and um, in many of the newer cars, and it will direct us pretty much anywhere we want to go. And for someone like me, that's really a great thing because I'm more than a little directionally challenged when I drive. Some of you are old enough to remember paper roadmaps, right? And um, you know the kind you unfold and you can never get it back to the way it was at the beginning. Um, but for years it's all we had to get us from point a to point b and uh, as a kid i learned to read a map one day one of our grandkids found one of those maps in my desk and had no idea what it was paper maps are lost on this current generation and uh, reading maps is a lost art even so getting lost in life is just as easy as it's ever been uh... in luke's gospel the fifteenth chapter at gives us a trio of parables about being lost and being found. And this particular chapter opens the gateway to the rest of Luke's gospel. It begins describing a setting that is so familiar in the gospels, and I want you to notice this. There are two groups of people around Jesus. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that, that there were tax collectors and sinners, who were gathering around Jesus in order to hear his teaching. But the Pharisees and the re- teachers of the law, the religious folks, were in the background muttering. This man welcomes sinners. He eats with them. Now notice the difference. The tax collectors and the sinners um, are listening to Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, they there muttering and they're grumbling about Jesus. Uh, This man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. Now, I think there's some encouragement that can be found in this passage that we're going to dig into today because we should be able to find ourselves somewhere in this story. Uh, We'll get to all that in just a few moments, but I'm going to invite you to pray with me before we do that. Holy God, we give you thanks and praise for the beauty of this day and for all the promise that it offers. We thank you for life, for joy, for every opportunity to walk with you as children of the light. We're reminded by the scripture lesson today of the hymn that says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And truly we all are like sheep who have at one time or another gone astray. We are all prone to wander away from you. We have times when our hearts are completely wrapped up in your heart And we can't imagine that we would ever stray. And then one day we wake up and wonder if we ever knew how to pray. We feel as if we are merely going through the motions. We may look just the same on the outside, but inside we're lost. So God, cleanse our hearts. Give us a new understanding today of your heart. Give us a heart like the shepherd who left the 99 to go looking for that one sheep whose heart was full of joy when he found it and celebrated and put that lost sheep on his shoulders because he was so happy to have rescued just one stray lamb. Help us to find our greatest joy in finding those who, around us who are lost. Help us to remember and maybe to know for the very first time the joy that comes from being lost and then being found Again, by your love and grace, accept our prayers. Accept the cries of our hearts this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together the chorus, His Name is Wonderful, and you can remain seated as we sing. A while back I read the story of a pastor who was scheduled to speak at a summer church camp in Ocean City, New Jersey. Now if you know anything about Ocean City, they uh, do a lot of summer ministry at the beach there. He was in his room prior to the engagement preparing his message when a voice pierced the air announcing that a little five-year-old girl named Wendy had wandered away from her folks. The PA announcer stated that Wendy was wearing a yellow dress and carrying a teddy bear. She had a auburn hair and dark brown eyes. And anyone seeing this little girl should report her whereabouts uh, to the music pier where two parents anxiously wait- awaited word of her safety. As he paused to look out his window, it seemed as though no one uh of the thousands of people strolling up and down the famous boardwalk heard or responded or even cared that Wendy was lost. Their interest was in the taffy shops and the antique stores and the amusement rides uh, situated along the streets. Can you imagine the fear of that five-year-old little girl? uh, What she must have been experiencing on that hot summer day. She was holding their soft teddy bear tightly in tears probably running down her face and heart pounding with fright and an empty feeling inside, missing the grip of her father's hand and not hearing her mother's voice. The pastor sat there wondering if people on the street could sympathize with the parents' feelings in those horrifying moments. Was she kidnapped? Had she fallen down and been injured or had she gone out into the ocean? After a couple of distressful hours, Wendy was found and she was all right. Pastor paused to look down from his window at the mass of humanity wandering aimlessly up and down the boardwalk and again questions flooded his mind how many of those people were themselves lost and didn't even know it how many felt a deep emptiness inside wishing that someone would make an announcement asking for help on their behalf did anyone really care did anyone know their feelings how many of them knew about a heavenly father who would gladly hold their hand. The insightful gospel story this morning from Luke 15 tells us this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain That he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety and nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have stayed straight away, or haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Now, you may ask, what prompted this story? Well, there was a smear campaign being conducted against Jesus. But unlike many of us, Jesus never answered mudslinging and... uh, Instead, he responded with gentleness. Jesus told his audience the parable about sheep and coins, but what he really had in mind was people. He was talking about the great value of every human being. We live in a world that tends to diminish people, don't we? Each of us is identified by, what, a social security number. Often we are are made aware Uh, we are made to feel uh, like we're insignificant drops of water in a great sea. Broken relationships as well as hatreds and greeds diminish us. Crimes and killings detract from the value of human life. And against all that we see going on in the world around us, Jesus insists that each individual is an important person. We matter to God. Our value doesn't depend on what we're able to possess or what we do or who we are. God has stamped his image on each and every human being. We are not devalued even when we sin. Lost people are of value. We matter to God. Now there are several key words in these two parables that have meaning for us, and I want to focus just on two of them. But first, let me set the stage. I find it interesting that the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, both relate the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin. But Matthew precedes his version uh, with another story about the disciples arguing over who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we're told that Jesus responded to their question by taking a little child and having him stand among them. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Now the key word in both of the parables that follow and upon which the stories pivot is the word sorrow lost and that's the tragedy sometimes people are lost at times we are lost like sheep through carelessness through foolishness we put our heads down we nibble on a tuft of ambition here and some pleasure over there and we don't look up to see where we're going and we slip through a hole in the fence and we're lost others of us are like the uh, lost like the prodigal son who willingly went to the far country and spent his time and money on worldly pleasure, only to regret it all. Some of us are lost like the coins, lost through no fault of our own. Perhaps someone else is to blame, but the end result is that we're lost. Carelessness, cruel circumstance, the cruelties of life come to all of us, and some of us just roll into some dark corner, and we get lost. And to be lost means that a person doesn't know their way back. They're unable to find their way home. Jesus seldom called people sinners. He called them lost. That doesn't mean that that they are irreparably damaged, but it does mean that they are away from the fold of God's blessings, away from the life of true service, away from a home in God's presence. Being spiritually lost is the tragedy of many, many human lives. But there's a second significant word in Jesus' story, and it is the word seek. The woman lit a lamp and swept the house and searched diligently for the lost coin. The lamp had to have oil in it. Often in the Bible, oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. When Christ followers have no oil in their lamps, we are simply searching in the darkness. The floor of the house was earthen, covered perhaps in dry reeds, and to find a coin on the floor wasn't an easy task, but the woman sought diligently. She turned the whole place upside down. Even though she would raise some dust as she searched, no nook or cranny would escape her scrutiny. And that's what happens in our lives. Sometimes the Lord has to disturb the floor on which we stand in order to get our attention and to find us. Sometimes he has to turn the furniture of our lives upside down. It may be in the context of a job loss or a broken relationship when we experience pain or hurt yet in each of those things in joy and sorrow in good fortune and misfortune in aspiration or inspiration God is reaching out to us see the Lord sweeps into every corner of our lives and he assures us of his presence seeking us when we feel lost I believe that these stories of Jesus had meaning for the audience of his day but have something significant to say to the church as well, the church of the 21st century. First, Jesus is teaching us about the character of the church, the community of faith that he is creating. The values of the kingdom of heaven are very different from the values of the world. We we who are in the church are to express our relationships with each other in the context of the relationship with Christ. That is, we don't relate to each other alone, but in the sense of our unity in Christ. Apart from Christ, in our relationships with each other, we can become guilty of intimidating, uh, manipulating, coercing, misusing other people. However, in and through Christ, each one of us is free to encourage each other, to build each other up because we have each other's best interest at heart. See, the love of Christ is what binds us together and seeks the best for one another. Now secondly, Jesus is teaching us about Christian ethics. He's talking about the personal and social aspects of community life. He's saying that there is nothing cheap, there's nothing insignificant about the Christian life. On the contrary, it's costly because we're called to fully identify with Christ and his suffering love. We are a community of redeemed people, a fellowship of forgiven people. And if we are unwilling to forgive others who have wronged us, we are lost from the community of the redeemed. That is a significant statement. We are a community of redeemed people, a fellowship of forgiven people, And if we're unwilling to forgive others who have wronged us, then we are lost from the community of the redeemed. How many of us hold grudges or remember every wrong that's ever been committed against us like it was yesterday? Jesus reminds us that God forgives us, and we have no option but to forgive others, or we forfeit our place in the community of faith. then third, Jesus is teaching us about the character of greatness. By using a child as an object lesson, he informs those who are listening that we become a member of the kingdom only by being converted and becoming as a child. He doesn't say that we're to act like children, but that we are to have a change of heart and become as a child in relationship to God, even as Jesus modeled that child-father relationship with God. You see, conversion means there's a change of direction. We find ourselves going our own way in life, but in answer to God's call of grace, we turn and now we're going God's way. It's a total change. Intellectual, psychological, ethical, relational. Jesus calls it new birth, a new beginning. To repent is to turn back in humility and to open ourselves in childlike humility to receive what God has to give us. It's being changed from being self-centered to Christ-centered. Jesus is teaching us that God accepts us in our weakness so that we're able to accept others who may appear smaller or weaker. Jesus never minimized the simple faith of people, and he calls us to respect childlike faith in others. He tells us that we are to care for people, not to harm them with our words or with our actions. And then he warns us that God's most severe judgment will be upon those who cause other people to fall away from the faith. And if by what we say or what we do we cause others to sin or to lose faith, we are in danger of God's judgment, which he describes as being lost and alone without God for all of eternity. It's darkness, it's separation. There's no light, no love, no fellowship, no hope, no God forever. You see, every person matters to God. No one is inconsequential or unimportant. God does not respect one person over another. There are no condescending attitudes in God's kingdom. What a different place our world would be if we had the same attitude toward other people that Jesus did. And yet, that is what we're called to do, isn't it? But how many of us truly live each day like we're trying to live like Jesus? The story of the lost sheep illustrates God's love for every single person, particularly those who are outside of the church. Lost people matter to God, and they should matter to us. In his compassion, Jesus doesn't want anyone to be lost. And there is rejoicing in heaven, he says, when a person repents and turns to God. That is the model for our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ. Now how does this teaching of Jesus get lived out in the church? Let me offer four convictions. First one is this. If the mission of Jesus is to seek and save the lost, then the mission of the church must be to focus on on those outside the house. The shepherd went after one lost sheep leaving the ninety-nine who were already well cared for. The woman turned the house upside down to retrieve what? One lost coin when she could have easily said I've got more what's one coin? Our focus must be lost people we must find ways to get the church into the world. I am keenly aware that this congregation has undergone a great many changes in recent years, and so has our DeWitt campus. Many of you have embraced these changes positively. For others, the changes have been unsettling. For a few, the changes have been resisted. For others, still, all the changes you've gone through uh, may not be fully understood. Let me give you some insight into my heart for for a few moments and the changes that Redeemer has gone through in the last 25 or 30 years. Back in 1996, God began to move in my heart in a new way. And in the lives of some of our church leaders who also opened their hearts to God's spirit. We began to take seriously the teaching of Jesus about the lost sheep and the lost coin and realize that we were living beneath our potential as a congregation. The learning curve in these years has been steep, but the result has been steady growth, and we've tackled many challenges. My role has been to initiate a process to intentionally bring into focus our congregation's purpose— and direction to articulate the mission and the vision that I believe God has called us to and help to develop a strategy that will help get us there. My experience is that there will always be folks who will take that next step of faith, who will get involved, who will pray for God's blessing, who have a heart for God in this community and there will always be those who just like to complain. As followers of Christ, we daily experience internal conflict as the competing values of the world and God's kingdom wage war with one another. I've learned to expect conflict to accompany any significant change process. And I teach other pastors the very same thing because it's an indication that God is at work. Changes usually pit the value of self-interest against the value of community outreach. Criticism is most often a spiritual matter, and it takes time for people to be able to get to, uh, to let go of what they know and love in order to embrace an uncertain future. But that's exactly what kingdom living is all about. Two strong priorities for our congregation have long been Christian education and worship, because these are the places where we've had the most impact to reach children and youth and adults on a weekly basis and teach the stories of Jesus and God's love. And that's why to meet the growing needs in our Sunday school, we expanded our options several years ago and hired additional staff, and that's why we continue to explore options that will further our our ability to impact the spiritual life of our congregations. And that's why our leadership team will continue to explore options to expand and make a place for new people to come. Whether, you know, it's on this site or another site, we want to, to meet not just the needs of today, but we have to be thinking about how to meet the needs of tomorrow and the years to come. It would be convenient to say, hey, you know, we've, we're happy with what we have, grown large enough, let's take care of the people that we have, but our example is the shepherd who's always seeking the one who's lost. There are many unchurched people, there are many hurting people right here in this community, and we cannot be content until we have expended every resource at our disposal to offer them Christ. Same holds true in worship. You know, without a doubt, the most prevalent type of worship throughout the United States is one that one recognized church consultant calls spiritless traditional. This describes worship in in my experience, in about 80% of the churches uh, that I've worked with. It's often what we have gotten used to, but no longer reaches a new generation of people. I'm not talking about traditional versus contemporary or hymns versus modern music. I'm talking about how worship is understood and how the spirit in which the congregation participates in whatever musical style is normal for that congregation. It's just that... That if worship is too slow or too linear or too predictable or too lifeless or too dull or too boring, people aren't going to come. Over 50% of Americans who grew up with boring church have now left the church of their childhood. Why? Because it's no longer relevant. And we here at Redeemer will continue to explore a casual style, an upbeat pace, a different day, whatever else it takes to reach even one that's lost. We will continue to use, when appropriate, non-traditional forms of worship or new technologies or sound biblical teaching to reach the one because our primary focus is on who is not here yet, who's outside the doors. We want people to come uh, who come into this place to experience for themselves the touch of God, and we pray that lives will be transformed and this place will be bustling again. Our goal is that corporate and individual growth will take place. But if one life is changed, even one, it will be worth it all. There are many churches around who open their doors each week to a dwindling number of people. There are lots of churches that don't want to change and the result is few young families, youth, children, Few unchurched people showing up, few lives being transformed. The era of going through the motions and expecting to be taken care of is over. Churches that hope to grow and be healthy in the 21st century must must learn what it takes to make the gospel relevant to each new generation and be willing to risk to make it happen. You know, Jesus did a lot of things in his day that angered the religious people around him. He ate with sinners. He healed people on the Sabbath. He told parables about seeking the lost. And they didn't want to hear him. And he always put himself into relationship with those who needed to be saved. Jesus identified that which was wrong and destructive toward other people. He identified sin for what it was and often named it. But he also opened a way to new life in compassion he is always reaching out to restore us he doesn't let our wrongs separate us from his love we too are called to offer others the life of jesus and to relate to this most postmodern post-christian culture in which we live the apostle paul said that he tried to be all things to all people so that he might win some of them. And that, too, is the call of the church today. Christ calls us to be in mission to those who are outside of the fold, to passionately expend all of our energy and resources to reach those who are lost. It's not about the 99. It's about the one. Let's pray. God, we simply ask that you would give us your heart for lost people. Make us a congregation that is fully committed to doing whatever it takes to reach people that are far from you in this community. Help us to make this place a church where the lost can be found. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Well, we really don't have many announcements this week, so a um, couple things I'll share with you. Uh, next weekend, I need to be at the DeWitt campus uh, for graduation Sunday. We have a lot of graduates, uh, high school graduates this year, and Beth will be uh, preaching. Uh, she tells me she has a great sermon planned for next week, so I know that that'll be good, and I appreciate Beth being willing to do that and uh, fill in when. I've needed her so much lately, so, um, but I uh, will be back on Memorial Day weekend. And then starting uh, the first weekend of June, we're going to um, – I've always been fascinated by Jesus' parable stories. And so I'm going to do a series that's going to last for part of the summer, or maybe much of the summer, on the parables of Jesus. So, and you're going to have homework each week. I'm going to have you doing some reading and studying on your own because you prepare for each week. And we'll get you uh, that the first one in uh, the next two weekends. We'll make sure that that's uh, there on screen for you, so that you can begin reading and getting ready for each week's uh, message coming up. Coming, uh, and it's most of them are from Luke's Gospel. So um, we'll have a good time learning together. Uh, But I think that's all I have this morning. Um, We're going to close our worship this morning by singing um, Christ for the world we sing. So if you're able to stand, feel free to do that and we'll sing together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of God's Spirit go with you this day and remain with you always. Go in God's peace. Amen. Yes. i got to tell you a little story. Okay. I almost stood up and asked you if I could tell it. When I was a little girl, Okay.